Welcome back to the Third Stringers Podcast, where we talk all sports all day. We got our host, Noah Crott, that's me. We got our my side guy right here, side guy. Justin Arbini. Ooh, I'm the side guy. <laughs> my bench guy, that's me too. We're both on the bench. We're, we're the third stringers for sure. <laughs> our third person, Paige Otto, uh, is feeling a little under the weather. Uh, may just be resting. Uh, it, that's the uh, name of the game now in the NBA. Uh, just taking a rest day. Um, but we'll hold, yeah, we'll, we'll hold down a four for her. We'll try to get that win on this podcast too. We got a lot of NBA talk this week. Um, and we actually got some MLB stuff to talk about today. Uh, the spring training game started and we're going to talk a little bit about the new pitch clock and, uh, if, uh, we're in favor of it or, you know, if we got some negative thoughts on it, but first we got to start somewhere, and this week we're, st- we're starting with the comeback of Kevin Durant. He's playing in Phoenix. He's playing in the desert. Durantula is back. He dropped 23, six rebounds, two assists, and also had, I believe, two blocks. Uh, played pretty well for a comeback, Justin. Um, what, what are your thoughts? I mean, it's Kevin Durant, so I was hoping, you know, he's going to look all right. I think... A few years ago when he did Terry's Achilles and he was coming back from that, everyone was like, oh, it might not be the same Kevin Durant. And again, I mean, this wasn't as serious of an injury. Um, But seeing him come back and play, you know, at the level he should be is always good to see. I think uh, always going to a new team is going to be tough, but you have Chris Paul helping you out. You have a young roster that, you know, can make anyone shine a little bit more than maybe they normally would but in Kevin Durant's case I'm, I'm happy to see it was a good it was a good outing for him he he needed that and I think it's gonna continue to improve for him do you think it's gonna improve or do you think that this first game I mean they were playing the Charlotte Hornets it was actually a really good game for him to come back just to build that chemistry do you think their their success last night is something that can be sustained, or do you think this was more of like a honeymoon phase? Oh, I think it can be sustained. I mean, you have arguably top five player in the league right now in Kevin Durant, and Chris Paul, who's a top, at least top ten point guard, I, I'd argue top five probably as well. I mean, this team is good enough to continue winning. I don't know if they will be the best, but if Kevin Durant can continue to elevate and level up and take on that burden that he probably should, like he shouldn't pawn pawn it off to Devin Booker. If he can continue doing that, I think this team is a can contend in the West, and they can come out of it. I hope they can. Yeah, they gave up. They gave up a lot in this trade. They gave up Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson, T.J. Warren. Um, or no, I'm sorry, T.J. Warren came to Phoenix with him. Um, but they gave up a lot. They gave up a lot of their depth, and now they look a little weaker on that side. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if they can stay healthy and if they can keep those core five. Uh, but that kind of leads me into my next question. Do you think this could be a super team? I mean, you got Chris Paul, um, you got Devin Booker, one of the best shooters that we've seen in a while. Uh, just an all around baller. Um, got that Kobe mentality, uh, Kevin Durant. We'll see who they play at the four or the three, um, depending on what you call Kevin Durant and then Deandre Ayton down low. Do you think this could be a super team? Um, let's let's go out of the way and say right now that I don't think it's a super team. Um, 
Love that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's a super team because Chris Paul is in his decline. He's you know he's past his prime. Um, obviously, still a great asset to the team. Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton have proven they're good and proven that they deserve to be on any roster, especially most teams starting positions. But one or two, either one or both of them need to really elevate for me to say it is a super team. Chris Paul can't handle a 30-point game every night. Kevin Durant can. But for me to call any team a super team is you have to have at least two players that can easily drop 30 at any given moment. And, I mean, DeAndre Ayton's a great anchor, but I don't think he's going to be the one to do that. So Devin Booker really has to really has to step up and be consistent at that high caliber, which I think he can be. So given a few end of the season maybe into next season depending on who stays who leaves what happens with that i think this could be a super team devin booker is really the piece that's going to make that happen though okay i think i i've said this on the last podcast too i don't think the suns are going to win it this year i just don't think that they're going to have enough games to kind of work out that chemistry i think this is kind of a honeymoon phase and again they're playing the charlotte hornets without lavello yeah. who's actually done for the year but it's. I think we are still in a honeymoon phase. I think once they face a real challenge, they're going to struggle a little bit. Uh, just between you know who's going to be that shooter. Is it going to be Durant or is it going to be Booker? And to be honest with you, I think Kevin Durant takes a step back. I think that he kind of lets Devin Booker do his thing. He kind of did that last night as well. He Devin Booker had 37 last night. I'm not saying, I'm not taking any, anything away from Kevin Durant. He didn't play as many minutes as Booker did. But I think that if you look at just that that first series where they went nine, they they ran that 9-0 run right at the beginning of the game. Devin Booker was passing it as well. And just, he opened up a lot of room for Kevin Durant. And I think once Kevin Durant comes back to his like full potential um, off the injury where he's playing, you know, 33, 34 minutes a game, 35 minutes a game, I think you see Devin Booker become the star because a lot of people are going to focus on Durant. Durant will pass it off to Booker and Booker will make that shot. I think Booker will take a step up from this, this trade. And we're going to see how much of an impact DeAndre Ayton can be defensively because I think Durant's going to kind of take a step back on the defensive side too. And Booker's never been a great defender. Chris Paul really, you know, again, he's declining, right? He's he's aging. So I think if they can put a three or a four as a defensive guy, maybe even Torrey Craig, they can make a run. But I just don't see them doing that. Yeah, I mean, they are in a honeymoon phase. They still have a decent amount of the season left. It's not, like, pressing. But I guess when it comes to any team you're on, especially at this level, right, the NBA, it's always nice to have the option of Kevin Durant or Devin Booker, right? And <laughs> Devin Booker stepping up needs to happen in order this to be a team and really to solidify them as a contender. But on the uh, same note of that, I'm looking at other team stars, right? And obviously Kevin Durant's on its sons, but if we're, if we're calling Devin Booker to the future, the number one shooter the number one go-to guy he's not competing with the celtics he's not competing with the mavs he's not competing with um 
who else is up there? I mean, I, I would put him under the Trailblazers. There's a lot of other teams that their number one guy, I would say, would easily beat Devin Booker in his game seven-game series. Obviously, it's a team sport, and you can't just base it off of that. But like Devin Booker really needs to step up. Like it, it, it it's almost it needs to be like MVP level play from him for the rest of the season if they're gonna win the season. Which again, don't know if they will. That's whatever. But next season, he has to be that guy. He he has to make everyone believe. Okay, Kevin Durant will pass it to Devin Booker. Of course, they'll have the option not to. But he needs to solidify that. He needs everyone looking at. Oh, don't let Devin Booker get the ball. That's kind of where my mindset is for that team right now. Yeah, they, uh, you know, go, we're going back to those super, the super team thoughts. Realistically, in the long scheme of things, I think we had one super team over the course of the last 15 years in the NBA, and I think it was that Warriors team with Kevin Durant. And, I mean, they had Draymond in his prime, Clay in his prime, Steph Curry in his prime, and no, nobody was ever going to beat them. And it, healthy, nobody was going to beat them. <laughs> and, <laughs> but it, I mean, I'm trying to compare this team to something, and I really can't compare it to like the Brooklyn Nets with Kyrie, Kevin, and uh, James Harden. You can't compare it to the big three down in Miami. Um, you can't compare it to the Warriors. I think the closest resemblance is actually the Thunder. Of the 2016 year. I agree. That's exactly what I was thinking too. Yeah, it's more of a, you got a one-two, like a, a big one-two with Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. But, I mean, you got DeAndre Ayton that kind of plays that same mentality of uh, Serge Ibaka when he was in his prime. Um, and Dion Waiters is more of the Chris Paul. I'm not saying they're comparable by any means, but like in terms of like, you know, the level of their play now, like that was kind of the similar mindset. Um, but yeah, it's more of the Thunder team, and that was the team that I thought would have won the NBA championship that year if they would have just won one more game and beat the Warriors that year. But because um, I think they would have pulled it off against the Cavs too. But yeah, it's I don't want to call them a super team either. I think I think you give it one more year, and depending on how Devin Booker is, and even DeAndre Ayton, if DeAndre Ayton steps up, then I would consider it. I mean, since the the Warriors team of Kevin Durant, Steph, Clay, Draymond, <laughs> the idea of a super t- team has changed a little bit, but you still have those big three in Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and Kevin Durant. And if Devin Booker really steps it up, I think they could be next season. Fair enough. All right, let's move on to a devastating injury. And I'm not talking about LaMelo. Yeah. <laughs> I'm talking about LeBron. <laughs> As you may have heard, LeBron hurt his foot. Uh, he said he heard something pop. There's a lot of skepticism on if he will return this year. Uh, he's going to see a foot specialist, um, and he'll be reevaluated, I believe, in two weeks. Uh, does this ruin the Lakers' chance for a playoff run? I want you to answer first, because I, I have some interesting thoughts on this. All right, so... You know, originally my thought process was they're going to have to rely on Anthony Davis to be everything, which he can do. Um, in his prime with the Pelicans, that that's what he was. And he was pretty good at it. But And even against the Grizzlies this past week, um, when LeBron was out, Anthony Davis had a very good game. 
they still end up losing, but the Grizzlies are one of the top teams in the West right now. And, you know, I'm kind of sitting there, I'm like, can you really trust Anthony Davis to stay healthy? Can you trust him to, you know, pull off these late game runs and win the games that they need to? Um, But then I was looking at their schedule, right? For the next two weeks, you got Timberwolves on tomorrow, Friday. You got the Warriors. You got the Grizzlies again. But then listen to this little run. Raptors, Knicks, Pelicans, Rockets, Magic. That's all the games that would be within a two-week span, the three-week span of LeBron being out. Those are winnable games. It's not like they're playing the it's not like they're playing the Nuggets and the Suns. Like these are easily winnable games. The Warriors won even now. We don't know if Curry's gonna be back for that game, but I mean that these are definitely winnable games. Does the does the new team do that though? I think LeBron is such a strange player in that yes, he benefits everyone, but he also kinda of holds everyone back because you're playing with LeBron, right? So for me, LeBron being out, again, you kind of alluded to it, Anthony Davis can be that guy if he's healthy. I'm, I'm okay, Real sidebar, I'm like 99% sure all the load management has been coming because of Anthony Davis and Kawhi Leonard the past <laughs> seven years. And now teams are like, we can't afford that. So let's, but anyway, back on the topic. If Anthony Davis stays healthy, they can win a few of those games. I think uh, D'Angelo Russell can play better and he will play better during the stretch as well. It's just all the role players that are always up in the air, even when LeBron's on the team. If he has two, three bench players that can get him 10 points, then they'll win a game. If they they don't produce at all, then they struggle. That's happened throughout his whole career. And it's always been frustrating as a Kobe fan or a, a Michael Jordan fan of, if they have the ball, they're winning the game, that sort of mentality. It's always been different with LeBron of, oh, he needs that perfect scenario almost, and it's just kind of frustrating, even though he puts up 40 points a night. So I think it's doable. I think if they're going to do it, they're going to slide into the like ninth, 10th seed, if at, at best 8th seed if they're lucky. But, man, it it's going to be tough. And you need the perfect scenario of Anthony Davis to stay healthy and a couple of the role players to give them some relief. I just love the the delusional Lakers fans that just love to come in and say, like, they, they see one game, right? And where everything goes really well, they, they pull off a late run and win the game. This was back when the run was playing. And they're like, oh, yeah, we're winning the championship. <laughs> and... It, it's just it's really funny to me because first of all the honeymoon thing is the honeymoon phase is a thing like when you come in you you just happen to gel really well because you got a new aura around you um but as soon as you face that team that just figured out how to play against you then everyone starts doing it playing that way against you and you struggle yeah. so i think I don't think that the Lakers are going to make it. I think they're just going to miss. Maybe they slide, like you said, in the 9th, 10th seed, but I think they lose in a playoff, in a play-in game. Yeah. 
Um, but they have built this sustainable team where they can come back next year and do it again and maybe just get a few more you know, reps in, um, build that team chemistry. They've got the shooters around LeBron now, which is always what I've said for the longest time is what you need. You like again. That's why the Westbrook experiment didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you need shooters. You need three and D type players because LeBron's going to drive the ball. LeBron's going to bring the ball up. So you just need to get three point shooters around him, some mid range shooters around him, and just play like that. Yeah. But I think this will be something that's a next year problem. I think the Lakers are done this year. That's a, that's a that's a hot take. I think they can still make it tenth, maybe ninth seed, but I get the I get the argument. There's a lot of good teams in the West, so that's also what I have to consider, or anyone can have to consider. There's a lot of good teams out there, so that makes sense. Yeah, we'll see uh, how the rest of them play this year because uh, we got players dropping like flies around here. We got LeBron out. We got Lamelo out. Who's it's uh, <laughs> who's next? Who's next? <laughs> They're gonna be joining us on the bench. <laughs> All right, let's move on to some pre-March Madness predictions, all right? There's always that one team that either makes a run, you know, a team that's sitting around the 4, 5, 6 seed that runs it or makes a run to the Final Four, um, or you got those, you know, 15 seeds that make it into the Sweet 16. Those are the games you love to watch, right? Um, Give me one team that fits either one of these categories, Justin. Give me a dark horse team. A dark Okay. I want to preface it and say I haven't watched as Love much, that. <laughs> as much college basketball as I should because I want to get into it. But a dark horse, I believe, again, I don't know if others are thinking this, but I'm thinking this, is TCU. The Horned Frogs. I don't yeah. – exactly. Um, <laughs> I believe they just be uh, – let me look real quick. Um was it Texas? Talking about the Texas game? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I saw a little bit of that. It's like, oh, they seem to be, you know, on top of things. Um, they looked good. And I know they're not, their record doesn't show a great record. Um, but a couple of their players that I was just, I saw some highlights of stuff. Uh, the two, I believe, main guards, Miles Jr. and Bo, they were looking solid. Uh, I, and another part to that team I like is they have, um, they have that story of like, oh, TCU isn't. They'll make the the tournament every, mostly every year, but they're not like a fan favorite. So they'll they'll slip under the radar for a lot of people, and I think they could easily make it. I'm gonna be bold and I'm gonna say Elite Eight, but who knows? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a hot take. But <laughs> I think they can do it. I I I. I was watching a little bit of that game and i was like this team looks solid if they play like that throughout the tournament they can make it that far and then it comes down to talent at some point and maybe they don't have those star players but who knows march madness it's madness for a reason (laughs) what team what team are you thinking dark horse for a dark horse team that i think could make a potential run at the championship is (laughs) And it's funny to call him a dark horse now, but Kentucky. Kentucky has played so much better these last few weeks. And their freshmen are finally starting to gel, 
which I think has been the problem with Kentucky for so many years. It's just they flip talent just so fast that they don't have time to build anything. This is the year that they started out poorly. They had to rely on talent to try and win games. And now John Calipari has made it a priority to become a team and actually gel. They're starting to get their rhythm back. And I think they're going to make a run not only in the SEC tournament, but I think in the regular tournament and can make a run at a potential N- or, uh, NBA championship, uh, NCAA championship. A potential dark horse is going to come out of the MAC championship. Whoa. It's going to be either Toledo or Kent State. Toledo's won 14 straight, okay? Get They're not going to not going to make a run. <laughs> not going to make a run for the NCAA tournament. Not like a real NCAA championship run. Just Sweet Sixteen. It's Toledo or Kent State here. Okay. For those who don't know, you went to Toledo, so that's why I'm saying that. I did. I did. <laughs> I can see it. I mean, um, especially for Kentucky. I, I've always thought about that. I mean, all the major schools at this point, you get them for a year and they're gone, and it's it's. I could only imagine it would be so tough for these head coaches to try and develop these players at a rate that can actually work for them to make it far in the playoffs. Calipari, or not Calipari, yeah, no, not Calipari, yeah, Calipari. Yeah. Sorry, mm-hmm. I was thinking uh, K for some reason, Coach K. Um, anyway, Calipari recently has been doing not a great job of that. Like the past few years, I would say he hasn't been doing a great job. Like you said, this team's looking better. I just think they're look those players are looking to the NBA when they need to be looking at the tournament right now. And I mean, it's hard to argue that because they can't, you know, go get the money. That's fine. But if they're playing for okay, let's try and establish this dynasty dynasty again, I think they could I think they can make it. I like that pick. Yeah, another team to watch out for, uh, Miami Hurricanes. They brought back a ton of players from last year when they made their, I think they made an Elite Eight run. Um, brought back a lot of players. That's a, a sneaky team. Um, team. When you're making when you're making a bracket, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at look at Miami as a potential upsetter. Oh um, all right, let's move on to our final our final topic here. Uh, we're actually switching up. We're going to MLB. I previewed it. It's about the pitch clock. Spring training started. There's been some heated debates on Twitter that I've seen about how one of the games ended because it was a called third strike only because of uh, the batter wasn't in the box yet. And for those of you who don't know, the pitch clock works where both the batter has to be ready seven seconds before the pitch is thrown. Like... They have the pitcher has seven seconds after the batter's ready. A lot of people were heated about how the game ended, and it just brought a bunch of controversy on should the MLB actually implement this? It's going to the MLB, yeah. and it's going to be a great thing. Okay, I'm just going to go off on a little monologue here. Okay, listen, I love it. Baseball has been dying for the past 15, 20 years since the whole scandal uh, with the performance-enhancing drugs, with Barry Bonds and everything. And it's just slowly declining. 
it's not only because of the PEDs. It's also because of how long these baseball games have become. And it's not, it's not just the amount of pitches, like pitchers that they rotate. Uh, it's just everything. It's the time in between pitches. I saw a video from the 2016 World Series. It took two minutes <laughs> yep. for them to throw a pitch. One pitch. That's ridiculous. I watched a video today of a guy striking someone out in 20 seconds. He threw three strikes. 20 seconds. That's an amazing adjustment. Baseball needed this, and it's going to be a great thing. It's going to get viewers watching the game again because there's going to be so much more action, which is what in this world today with shorter attention spans needs. I am very torn on it. Part of me, it's a polarizing topic, and I'm very polarized myself about it. One hand, you know, growing up, playing baseball, around a baseball family, um, the traditionalist inside of me is like, this is going to change so much about the game, and just just the, the thought of everything that's happened in the past now being completely different. It's like it's almost a new sport, which is so weird to say. But it, it really is. It, it can completely change the game. I think maybe a called third strike to end a game might be too far. But then there's that other side of me saying this is exactly what, like basically echoing everything you just said. This is exactly what they need to compete with the high-flying dunks of the NBA and the, you know, crazy 70-yard passes in the NFL, all these highlight moments that you really don't get in the MLB that much. And if you do, it's a crazy outfield catch or a huge home run, grand slam. But the in between all of that is nine innings of and three hours of the most boring game to watch on TV <laughs> besides golf, in my opinion. Um, it's, it's hard to watch a full game, and... I think the MLB is right in making this change. They needed to make the change. They need to tr keep trying things. And it, it will make it to the season. I just don't know if they need to rein it back a little bit. I think now's a great time in spring training to test it out. Go all in. Go end games on the call third strike. Exact, or Manny Machado went up to bat for the first time with 0-1 count. Or, yeah, 0-1 count. It's like... Do that. Make it hard for these players. Make it known that this will happen. But then when the season starts, maybe implement one rule where, okay, the batter can't. You can't end an inning on a call like that or something. They need to just tweak it a little bit to keep the traditional fan base from rioting, basically. <laughs> so that's, I, that's my thought on it. I think, I think the players will adjust. Um, I actually think this gives a little bit more of a benefit back to the batters. Once they, you know, once they, you know, don't spend 20 seconds, you know, doing their ritual of fixing their batting gloves and, you know, rubbing the bat down again. Um, once they fix that and where they don't need to do that every single time, the batter will definitely have an advantage because the pitcher is constantly throwing. They don't need to be swinging on every single pitch. You know, they could sit there on a, you know, first strike where, and just stay in the batter's box, which is what also baseball needed. They needed more hitting. And I think this is a great thing for the MLB, um, especially with how much time has been cut off of these games. 
I saw, so they brought up a stat after the first weekend. The average time that it um, took off of games was 23 minutes. Yeah, that's huge. That's insane. It's something like 54 hours over the course of a major league season, which is, you know, over two days, two days of your life where you're just sitting and watching players adjust batting gloves and listening to stats. <laughs> listening to announcers you don't actually like listening to. <laughs> I, so the part that gets me with it is the stealing aspect. Yeah, it'll be more exciting because players will be able to steal easier. But then that traditionalist to me is like, what about all these players from the past that could have easily benefited from this rule? And now records are going to change. Records are going to be broken scoring is going to change it it's tough because baseball is a very traditional game in america and you want to see it grow but do you want to see it ruin the legacy of some other people i don't know it, it's catch 22 i guess there i think the change was needed I, I i think it is a good thing but it's gonna ups i think it will upset a lot of old players a lot of older fans that don't want to see this happen to to change the outcome and the legacy of some players so it's tough yeah yeah i see your point um i just think that when the players adjust i and you know going back to your point about ending games i don't think it's any different than what the nba and the nfl are doing like you got like a delay game penalty at the end of a you know at the end of a game where if they don't get a playoff, you know, they're backed up five yards. Yeah, I don't like that. I don't think this is any different. (laughs) I don't like that rule. Fair enough. Um, But, like, a shot clock in the NBA, like, there's just so many sports that have time restrictions, and they just benefit the game because it makes them a little faster. Yeah. I think this was needed for the MLB, too. Yeah, yeah. It, it It was coming. Everyone knew the writing was on the wall that the MLB will change within the next five, 10 years. And I think this is going to be a big one and there's probably more to come. So I'm kind of excited yep. for that. Yep. No shifting this year either, which, Oh, that's huge too. <laughs> that's crazy. They're trying to, they're trying to push as much hitting as possible Yes. Which because the pitchers, yeah, the pitchers have just dominated the past few years. Yeah, that's completely fair. All right. That's all we got for you this week, guys. Uh, Tune in next week. We're going to do some more March Madness predictions. Uh, We might be a little later next week because of that. Uh, We might wait and see, uh, you know, when the bracketology comes out. We're not quite sure yet. We'll get that figured out. Um, But just stay tuned. Uh, We'll let you know, and we'll give you our March Madness picks. All right, guys. See you next week. See you.